Hey there, and welcome to the Nutrition Edit Podcast. I'm your host, Jeannie Oliver, and I'm really excited about today's guest, especially for those of you who have suffered or are suffering from migraines or know someone who does. My guest today is one of my teachers and mentors, clinical nutritionist and certified functional medicine practitioner, Tom Maltaire. Tom has been involved in nutritional sciences since he was a 10-year-old. Since then, he has attained two nutritional science degrees, educated healthcare practitioners around the world on functional medicine and nutritional biochemistry, written the best-selling The Elimination Diet book, and has worked for some of the most prestigious supplement and lab companies in the functional medicine community. Through his work experience as an educator and his 18-plus years in clinical practice, Tom has been exposed to nutrient and genetic analysis testing results of both his clients and the doctors and healthcare practitioners that he instructs. As a result, Tom has gathered unique insights into the actual chemistry behind multiple diseases and health conditions. He has applied these findings to the field of migraines and is now helping hundreds of migraine sufferers find relief through his new program called the Migraine Relief Method, which I will, of course, link in the show notes. In this episode, I talk with Tom about the difference between severe headaches and migraines, common causes and treatments for migraines, and the dangers of using acetaminophen for pain relief. We also dive into the lifestyle and nutrition interventions that you can use to combat migraines, including addressing any food intolerances or nutrient deficiencies. I also forgot to ask Tom about Botox treatment for migraines, so I emailed him after the show, and here's how he responded to me. Tom says, from my experience, Botox can work for some, but not all. And those it does work for, I find that the results are usually present for six to eight months, and then they diminish. There are a few success stories that last longer, but they are not common. So hopefully that answers any questions that you have about Botox. If not, message me in Instagram or email me through my website. You can find all those links through the show notes, and I will fire off any questions that you have to Tom. So that said, without further ado, let's jump into the episode with Tom Maltaire. Welcome to the Nutrition Edit Podcast for high-performing women who want to up-level their health and feel their best in their bodies, careers, and personal lives. In this podcast, I'll sift through the latest nutrition and biohacking trends to filter out the bullshit, share what you really need to know, and help you put the good stuff into practice in a way that works for you. You'll get actionable tips from guest experts and myself on how to up-level your mindset, workouts, relationships, and environment, and start feeling like the badass woman you are. Join me as we bust through the bro science and male-centric health paradigm to help you achieve optimal performance, body, mind, and soul. So welcome, Tom. I'm so glad that you're here today. Thanks for joining me. Jeannie, my pleasure. It's an honor to be with you today. Well, it's great to see you again. So I know Tom because I took his progressive practitioner coaching program. That's right. A couple times, actually. Yes, you back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when I was working at the chronic illness clinic. So Tom is... An amazing wealth of knowledge, everybody, and oh, one of my you. mentors and teachers. <laughs> and I'm really excited to have you here today to talk about migraines. So yeah. before we jump in, why don't you give us a little bit of your background? Tell us who you are and how you got into the work that you're doing sure. and a little of your history. Oh, yeah. It's an interesting story, actually. I've been interested in nutrition since I was a 10-year-old kid. My family doctor was Dr. John McDougall, and he was treating people uh, using food and not medicine. And my whole family found benefit from his teachings. And so it really turned my brain into this conceptual machine saying, wait a second, if food can be used as medicine, then why? Like what's behind that? And so 
as a 10-year-old kid, I, I had to know. And I started studying literally in junior high school about nutritional sciences. And then in high school, I started subscribing to medical journals. And I was really fascinated because at the time, there was a lot of people saying, I, I did a vegan diet for a while. And everybody was saying, you're going to die. You're going to die. Mm-hmm. You're going to die. And I was like, I'm not dying. I'm not dead. Like something's wrong here. And so I, I really started getting into the nuance of what policy was being told to the public and what was actually happening. And I now see that there are, are many different sides to the science and I can't get enough, right? And so yeah. I, I studied in, in college and I got two nutritional science degrees and, and I went on to study with the Institute for Functional Medicine and I became a faculty member for the Institute for Functional Medicine, Autism Research Institute. And then I I started working for these incredible firms. Like I worked for Thorne Research for a number of years as part of the medical affairs team. They sent me around the United States and Canada first to learn and then to lecture to physicians about nutritional biochemistry. So I got immersed in this whole concept of, you know, the body is an incredible creation. Mother nature interacts with the body in incredible ways. And the two of them have this synergetic relationship, synergistic relationship in which one supports the other, the other supports the other and health happens. And so when I started seeing all these counter information campaigns on social media or television or movies or whatever about how, no, when you're sick, you need to go this one route and get a bunch of synthetic compounds or whatever. I was like, Mm -hmm. that's not what my life has taught me. My life has taught me since I was a 10 year old kid that you could find the science behind why a cell is not functioning very well, and you can get health by balancing it with natural processes. So it's been a a life exploration to kind of vindicate mother nature, to vindicate natural processes by using hard sciences. So I love chemistry. I love reading research. I love scientists. You know, it's been interesting because since yeah. I've been a high schooler, all my friends were like, oh, have you watched Roger Staubach and the Cowboy, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, uh, no, but I, I love Bruce Ames. He's a researcher. And I like, there's all these different people that I idolized early on that were scientists. And so what that's done for me now is it's put me in a position to really understand disease. It's really put me in a position to understand mechanisms behind why a cell is dysfunctional. So anytime I see a person with a symptom, my brain automatically goes into biochemistry mode, you know, and I think, okay, wired and tired. What is that? Hmm. Possibly, you know, this is an MDA receptor, right? The N-methyl-D-aspartate receptor and the person's firing too much, right? And so my brain just goes. And so it says, well, what are the options for changing that symptom? Well, I know that there are specific nutrients like B6 that will help convert glutamate into GABA. I know that there are certain nutrients like glycine. There are certain nutrients like magnesium that will turn that down. So it's amazing for me now as a clinician to have people walk into my office. I hear their symptoms. I give them recommendations. Usually we'll do lab analysis as well. I'll give them recommendations. And sure enough, the chemistry rolls out into health. Yeah. So it's, it's a beautiful, I, I feel so blessed. I really do. I feel like I've, I've been given this life to serve others. I've been given this life as an interpreter 
to take in data from people in the way of what they consider to be suffering, I consider to be an opportunity to discover chemistry, right? And then we find balance from that. So how's that for my upbringing? I don't know. It's a beautiful thing. No, I love it. I And I totally agree with you. It's really exciting information and it's a field that never gets boring, right? We're always learning. Oh my goodness. And we're finally, I think, at a place in history too, where all of these things that used to be looked at as sort of hippie woo-woo mm. are mm-hmm. now being completely backed up yeah, that- with science. And it's really exciting and gratifying and it's shedding light on the fact that we have all these amazing tools and building blocks in nature. And if we don't mess it up, if we can you know, remove the insults and just give the body what it needs to function optimally, we can feel our best. You have experience in this. So I think I, I feel uh, called to spell this out for the listening audience. So what you're saying to me is that the teachings of Sid Baker make sense, right? That all disease is caused by two primary things. So one, a person is getting too much irritation. They're getting too Mm -hmm. many things in their life that are talking to their body cells, specifically their immune cells, and saying, alert and alarm, something is wrong. So poor diet, lots of stress, environmental toxins, microbe imbalances, allergenic proteins. These are all things that when the immune cell sees those, Diet, stress, toxins, microbes, allergens, sees those. It says, whoa, like what's going on? This is not self. I need to create an environment of protection. I need to create an environment of make sure I'm surveying the environment and attacking that which is not self. Mm -hmm. So some people attack their food, for example. Some people attack their microbes that are in their intestinal tract or their oral cavity or their lungs. So there's this constant inflammatory response, this constant reaction to their environment. That's the irritation. Well, what we now see is that when a person has proper nutrition, when they're feeling well-nourished and their cells are feeling abundantly blessed, then all of a sudden they don't respond to the irritants as much. So right. if there's eating, a resilience there. Yeah. If they're eating plenty of nutrients, they're getting their vitamins and minerals and fatty acids and amino acids and things like vitamin D, but we now know vitamin D is a secosteroid hormone that's the most potent immune modulating substance on the planet. Meaning it calms down the immune system so it doesn't overreact and create right. the pain and swelling and heat and dysfunction that we see in inflammation, right? So Okay, so proper nutrients, proper sleep. We're now seeing that when people sleep very yeah, well. that's huge, know, isn't it? Oh, it's massive. You have no it's idea. It's everything. Yeah, yeah, I mean, melatonin is one of the primary antioxidants in the brain that keeps the central nervous system balanced. When you sleep, you create these glymphatic channels that flush out toxins in the brain. Sleep's amazing. So a lot of my migraineers, my migraine clients, for example, they can't find relief until they sleep. Why? Mm-hmm. Because those glymphatic channels open up, the brain gets a washing in deep sleep cycles, filters right. out all the toxins, and they wake up feeling refreshed and the migraine's gone, right? So sleep is, oh, cool. is huge for so many different reasons, muscle repair and cognitive function and you, you, you name it. Yeah. And then exercise. You know, so many people are neglecting exercise and that's a mistake, right? You have to have that lean muscle mass as you age to give you energy, to produce brain-derived neurotropic factor when you exercise that keeps the brain sharp. You know, there's so many different things. 
And then stress reduction. I mean, I just had Tai Chi practice last night, right? And it was right when nice. the sun was going down and I was doing my form and I was like, wow, like <laughs> the amount of connection you feel, the amount of calm yeah. you feel is just brilliant. It's wonderful, right? That brings you to a level of health. It, it calms your cells down, calms your immune cells down. It's pretty powerful, whether that's meditation or Tai Chi or just deep breathing. I mean, you can you can yeah. lower your cortisol by 50% with two deep belly breaths. You know, why wouldn't you do that every time right. you feel stressed, right? Oh, for sure. I had a whole episode with um, a gal who does myofunctional therapy. We're talking about breathing and oh. nasal breathing. And yes, I mean, I noticed that with myself, if I'm stressed or under a lot of pressure, I'll find myself breathing very shallow oh, throughout yes. the day. And, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm used to sort of checking in with my body and making sure that I'm taking those good deep full breaths. But yes. I know a lot of people don't do that. And we're not designed to be under this kind of chronic stress that we live under in the modern world. No. And then that's the last piece that really nourishes people. And that's the love and connection. Mm, yeah. Feeling like yep. you belong to a group, you belong to a family, an organization, you belong to yeah. society, you belong to something bigger than yourself, and you have purpose. So mm -hmm. what you do matters, right? And yeah. so many people aren't feeling that. And interesting to me, you know, as a chemistry guy, right? So I think well, a lot of that's the dopamine neurotransmitter pathway or yeah, the serotonergic pathway. You know. These things are interrupted when you have poor diet, stress, toxins, microbes, and allergens. They're disrupted when you're not getting enough proper nutrition. They're disrupted when you're not getting enough sleep and exercise and you're under a ton of stress. You actually shut down. It's interesting. You know, I've looked at, and I taught that in the PPCP, as you remember. <laughs> I taught how the formation of these beneficial neurotransmitters that help you be happy and help you sleep and help you feel like you're part of something and you're, you're, you, you matter, right? Those neurotransmitters right. are disrupted directly when you have stress in your life, when you have poor diet in your life, when you have chemical exposures in your life. So it's interesting because when you balance all those things out, right, the mood improves. That's one of the most beautiful yeah. things because you have people come in to see you, right? And they're just, or, you know, and then yeah. after a couple of months, they're not the same humans, right? Yeah, they it's start true. thinking like, wow, what am I going to do with my life? How can I serve? How can I love more? How can I be part of something bigger than myself? You know, it's it's a beautiful yeah. process. I'm sorry, I'm talking too much, I'm sure. <laughs> no, I can't agree with you more. I mean, yeah. that's, you know, it's why I love what I do so much as well. It's really just so fulfilling to see people's- It is fulfilling, yeah. Joy increase. Oh. Yes. You know, their joy, their mm. level of just enjoyment of life, yes. um, you know, reduced pain, all of these things. And yeah. I think that right now we're facing this sort of epidemic of isolation and loneliness that people oh, are experiencing yes. post-pandemic. And it's almost trendy or fashionable, I would say, oh. for I. For young people to be like, oh, I never want to go out. I don't like to go out. I just like to stay in and I don't want to go do anything. I don't want to make plans. And it's like, okay, <laughs> let's let's abandon that. This is not helpful for any of us. Now, I can absolutely respect because I am myself an introvert, so I need my time to recharge alone. But I also understand the importance of connection and community and just how important that is for us biologically as well as psychologically and emotionally. So It's amazing 
the other thing that's happening with our youth and what's happening with adults as well is we're so screen dependent. Oh God. Isn't whether that it's true? the social media I'm that we're getting well. sucked yeah. into or whether it's the Netflix series or whatever it is, there are so many hours a day that are taken up by the screen. And it's mm -hmm. interesting. My children are, are, are saying to me sometimes, dad, I'm bored. And I'm like, Grab your skateboard. Let's go to the skate park. Grab your backpack. Let's go to the hills. Grab, you know, whatever. I'll take you rock climbing. I'll take you snowboarding. I'll, you know, let's get outside. Let's go live. And they're like, ah, oh, I just, I don't feel like it today. And it's usually because they're on their phones, right? Uh, yeah. So it's, it, if we could just realize that, you know, if at first you choose not to decide, you have still made a choice. Yes. Right. So, no, I'm, I don't know. I don't know if I want to go skip. I don't know if I want to go hiking. I'm just going to sit here on my phone. Your choice is I'm going to be an alternate reality versus reality reality. So the interesting piece is I've started playing with this lately and it's been so fun. I'm like, what can I do today that will excite me and, and make me laugh? I'm taking a, a motion, a mobile class, right, where we get down and we do these rolling exercises and twisting and tumbling and all these motion things, handstands and different bear crawls and things. Yeah. Not only does it stimulate your body, but your mood improves tremendously and your I'm focus sure. improves tremendously. And then things like Tai Chi, oh my goodness, you feel that energetic increase, right? What do you feel when you're on a phone? Yeah. You feel lost. You feel yeah. tired. Inadequate. <laughs> you feel like your energy is sucked away from you. It's like, yeah. it's a choice. It's a choice. Yeah. You've chosen not to do something. And in the process, you're doing something, right? But yes. when you let go of that, there's a world out there and there's so many fun things to do. Yeah, so true. I want to take a little bit of a rabbit trail off of that because yeah. there's the whole subject of EMF mm. and we're exposed to so much of it. Yeah. Um, but I just want you to talk briefly. You did a fabulous, somewhat famous now TED talk oh. about the beauty of broccoli sprouts and sulforaphane. So just tell us about that super briefly. And I'll link to this YouTube video, everybody in the show notes, because it's such a great talk. Okay. Yeah, sure. So when I was asked if I wanted to be a TED talk uh, lecturer, you go in and you, you talk about different subjects. And um, at first I talked about autism at the time I was looking at autism research and um, it was a little overwhelming for people, right? And so I thought, well, mm. what's the one thing I could talk about that everybody would identify with that people could make one change in their life and completely alter their existence? And so what I had seen through my clinical practice and through research I had been reviewing and through interviewing researchers, I saw that there was a compound coming up in the research called sulforaphane. And sulforaphane is an amazing compound that changes gene expression in every single cell. It increases your antioxidant capacity, increases your detoxification capacity. When you look at cancer research, it is the primary thing to help lower colorectal cancer, breast cancer, prostate cancer. It's phenomenal. Yeah, it's amazing. So, yeah. And so I interviewed these researchers at Johns Hopkins, Paul Talley, Jed Fahey, and their group there. And then I interviewed Johanna Lampe down at the University of Washington MD Anderson Cancer Research Center branch. And I found that they were deep in evidence that showed exactly what I'd been seeing in my readings. So I thought, gosh, wouldn't it be a great gift to just share with everybody 
something super simple as just eating more broccoli sprouts. And so I gave a lecture called Broccoli, the DNA Whisperer. And I had a, a limited <laughs> amount of time and they give you a coach, right? And so I came out with lots of hard science and graphs and all sorts of stuff. And they're like, oh, make it a little bit more calm and entertaining. So I did. But uh, I, I think there's a lot of takeaways in there about what broccoli can actually do. Yeah, I think of it every time I fly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah, it was great. Um, cool. Okay, well, let's jump in then to the headache piece. Thanks for sharing that because yeah. I, I do think that that's a, a really great video for people to watch and kind of get a feel for the power of food, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a great little snippet. Yeah. So tell us what exactly migraines are and what's the difference between a regular bad headache and a migraine. You know, it's pretty interesting because for a lot of people, they would say the biggest difference is just severity. When you get normal headaches, it's kind of a dull, achy pain. Some people would say, I feel like I'm a little foggy maybe, or I have tension in my neck and head. And we sometimes call those tension headaches, or some people will call them minor sinus headaches, which isn't really a correct term. But the Reality is a, a migraineer knows they're a migraineer. A person who suffers from migraines, well, that's not always true either. Let me back up just a little bit. Severity usually implies that you have a pounding headache. You have something that is pulsatile, something that lasts 24 one day, 24 to 72 hours for some people plus. I just got off the phone with a person who has migraines every single day. The intensity is a bit more, right? So you have a unilateral presentation. Usually it's on one side, not both, where the tension headaches will kind of be over the whole head usually. Oftentimes there are co-presenting symptoms, like people will say, I have nausea, I have vomiting, and then there's usually a point of being disabled, so they can't mm -hmm. function. Right. So usually it's the severity, it's the presentation, and it's the lack of function. Okay. And the present, I would say, comorbidity of some sort of nausea usually is kind of a telltale sign as well. Okay. And aren't there different types of migraines? Sure. I know there's maybe several, but let's just touch on the main. Yeah. Let's not get into vestibular and anaplegic and all the different types. Yep. Let's the, the two primary ones that people think of is they think of, uh, well, first chronic versus episodic. So if you're over half the month with a migraine, 15 plus days, then you're considered chronic. If you're below that, then it's considered what's episodic. If you have a presentation, and this is fascinating to me, it's always bizarre what I hear from my clients, right? So some get lightning bolts, some get one side of their face that goes dark, some people get hazy, some people get flashes of light. There's these things called aura. And mm -hmm. in about 30% of the migraine clients, they have aura. In 70%, there is no aura. It just kind of creeps on. But it's interesting because there's something that's called the prodrome. And the prodrome is weird because to me, Jeannie, this is kind of an indication that this is not just a brain thing, right? That there's something happening with the system. And I figured this out in my program, but there's something that's happening in the entire system that's throwing off the brain. It's not the brain that initiates. It's the system that initiates and the brain responds. Right. So you'll it's see interesting- an upstream issue. Yes, exactly. 
So you'll see these interesting things, right? So some people will have constipation ahead of time. Many people have a tremendous amount of fatigue. You'll see this increase in yawning that happens, right? Mm -hmm. It's as if the body is preparing or it's already started shutting down or being dysfunctional prior to the actual migraine pain that hits. And then once the migraine pain hits, oftentimes it's sensory overwhelm, right? So a lot of times people will classify, they'll say it's the light sensitivity that's most classic with migraines where people are like, oh, I got to close my eyes. Yeah. I don't want to see anything anymore, right? But it's not just light. Oftentimes it smells, oftentimes it sounds. It could be senses. People don't want too hot or too cold. It depends on the person. So it's a person who's in sensory overload. And what we find is the population of migraineurs, when you look at both the data and the clinical presentation, which to me, I feel so blessed to be buried in this all the time with people because I find nuances every day by talking to each person. I'm like, oh, wow, there's another clue. There's another clue. There's another clue. This is like a big investigation as to like where this imbalance is coming from, right? But it's wonderful to see that the sensitivity is almost universal. Most people with migraines have extra sensitivity, meaning if they smell a certain smell, if they have too much sunlight, either directly in the eye for some, and for other, it's diffuse. So it's like if it's between the leaves and they get a little flash and a little flash and a little flash, boom, migraine trigger. For other people, it's the auditory. Certain sounds, you know, certain sensitivity of sounds, they go into a busy room, lots of talking. It's too much. So it's interesting to me, right? Because as we talked about in that program that you were part of, the how important the mitochondria is and yes. how when the mitochondria hits a certain threshold, it can't take any more stimulation. And when it gets too much stimulation, then it shuts down and becomes defensive instead of energy productive. And then the entire brain has to compensate. That's one of the many mm, mechanisms yeah. that I've found in migraines. But what we're seeing then is there are certain things that a person can push themselves over the threshold with. So what are we saying right now? Let me back it up a little bit. We're saying that migraine sufferers are more sensitive to irritants. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're saying they have this eloquent surveying with their immune system of the environment. And when certain things come in that are called quote unquote triggers, then that pushes them over that threshold into a state of boom, alert and alarm, shut down the system, start a secondary compensatory response that's going to defend you from this harmful environment that you're oversensitized to, and then thus a migraine. So it's interesting too that there's also something called the postdrome. So you have this prodrome pre and then postdrome after, right? So okay. the postdrome is usually fatigue. These people yeah. are feeling like I've been hit by a truck. You know, yeah. it's like I, I'm hungover, you know, and it's, oof, I don't want to give away too much chemistry, but that, that's an interesting piece right there. But, you know, the fatigue is a sign then that something went wrong in energy production. Something right. went wrong prior to this whole thing and post this whole thing. 
So it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating study. I'm hoping to publish research one day soon because the theories that I've had about the chemistry behind migraines are getting proven each client. And the more yeah. testing that my clients get, and so I'm always requesting my clients get testing because, you know, if you're not testing, you're guessing. And right. if you can't see the markers, then we can't tell the rest of the world what patterns to look for when someone's experiencing a migraine, right? So we want some sort of accountability. We want some sort of consistency. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I can relate to that. I, I haven't had migraines for many, many years, mm. but I remember when I was probably puberty, I would get them. Oh, yes. And I would get the awful aura with the oh, lightning yes. bolt thing in the side yep. and um, mm -hmm. couldn't focus well. And the only way I could make it go is to eat something, mm -hmm. lay down in a completely dark room and sleep it off. Yes. And I would just be exhausted after, even after waking up. And so, yes, you know, again, yes. that hasn't happened to me for years. I don't know what was going on there. I mean, there's a multitude of things that could have been triggering that for me. The antibiotics that this poor kid was on mm. from yeah. birth through my 20s, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure contributed, you know, to an unhealthy microbiome. And so we know that that can have so many downstream effects, but Often it does. was, yeah. thankfully, I haven't had one of those maybe since high school, but so many of my clients will experience this. And, yeah. and often I will see an improvement once their nutrition has improved, they've become more resilient overall, but it's my tools obviously for this are, are limited. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, don't feel bad about that because the one thing that I have been seeing over the years now is that, you know, I wrote a book in 2015 called the elimination diet, right? And prior yes, to that, I, I, I recommend it. I love it. Yeah, good, good. <laughs> Um, prior to that, there was an earlier version that had been tested out on people. And prior to that, I had these handouts for years with my clinical practice. So it's been 18 plus years in clinical practice. You, you see a few things, right? So <laughs> you, you kind of see patterns. And it was very clear to me early on that food was oftentimes associated with the, the migraine response. Mm -hmm. And what I thought initially, and what I was reading in the research at that time as to what foods triggered it. If I would have written a book back then called The Migraine Elimination Diet, I would have been completely inaccurate. I needed hundreds upon hundreds of people giving me feedback saying, oh yeah, well, it's, everybody says citrus is bad, but I don't really respond that much to citrus. Everybody says that histamine is bad, but I don't really respond unless the histamine is really high. So I started finding that there's nuances and everything. So don't beat yourself sure. up. It just takes, it mm -hmm. takes time to really see... Yeah all the patterns and to understand what works for what person. So oftentimes I have to do a very right. extensive intake. I'll have to ask a ton of questions about the foods they're consuming. And then we'll also have to do a nutrient analysis. And what I find is when there are certain nutrients that are deficient, then a person has a much higher likelihood of reacting to certain biogenic amines in their foods. So whether it's the tyramine found in cheeses or the histamine found in fermented foods, it doesn't really bother people unless they have specific nutrient deficiencies. So there's tons of nuances. It's a, a long term, I would, I'd say I'm, I'm going to be a lifelong learner on this one. I'll, I'll be learning every day. Yeah. I think that's the beautiful thing though, because I think that once practitioners start to think that they know it all, that's, that's when things go south, right? It's when we can be a, a perpetual student and always be learning and growing that we can have the most to offer. I'm sure that age is a burden for many. And I, I am finding blessings now as I age with yeah. the time and wisdom that I am receiving. 
and the patterns that you see over and over again that make it easy for you to help people and predict what's going to happen is such a blessing. And it only happens through repetition, right? So you see things enough times and then you ask enough times, is there any possibility I could be incorrect? And when you humble yourself to see that so many times you were incorrect, then you realize to make blanket statements or to box everybody into a, a specific diagnostic doesn't work. It just no, doesn't it work. it never does. So earlier on in my clinical practice, I felt comfortable saying, well, everybody needs this and everybody needs that. And now I'm like, wow, it's so individualistic. It's really important to ask a lot of questions and to do some testing for sure. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about some of the most common causes, Tom, that you see for migraines. And I'm specifically curious about stress and sleep, for sure, because we know mm. the importance of those. Yes. Toxicity. Yes. And then you we just briefly touched on the food intolerance thing. Okay. But so stress, sleep, toxicity. Yeah. So and then the foods. Stress and sleep. Stress is massive. But stress is massive on so many different levels because what stress does is it shifts biochemistry. So we see that stress changes neurotransmitters, and we talked about that in the PPCB, right? When I talk about the chemistry and the serotonergic pathway and the dopaminergic pathway and how all the things that make you feel happy, that make you feel well slept, well sleeping, that help you sleep well, <laughs> right? <laughs> Those things, right, will change when you're under stress. It's an adaptive mechanism. The cell says, you know what? If the world is not a safe place for me, I don't want to mm -hmm. be sound asleep. I want to know when the danger is coming. Right. Yeah. Right. It's a beautiful adaptation. And interestingly enough, and then it will make more niacin and it'll make more substance called kynurenin to protect the brain. It does all these little beautiful nuances that we say, this is awful. I'm depressed. I'm anxious and I can't sleep. Well, right. no, your body's saying, I want to protect you. Yep. So if you can give the body some peace through extra nutrients, through exercise and good sleep, what we call hygiene behaviors, then mm -hmm. boom, things get better. So yeah, I always tell people your cells don't differentiate between like, oh, it's just a stressful work week and the possibility of like death or famine. They don't have a thinking, reasoning little brain. A, <laughs> it's just stress. It's all stress. That's beautiful. Uh, yeah, it's bizarre. I mean, but there's a beautiful book about this, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. If you ever want to read about that, it's mm. it's okay. fantastic. It was part of our, my graduate school training. We had to read that book. But yeah, because we were so stressed in graduate school. Well, chemistry is tough. So what I would say is that stress changes your physiology in more ways than you could ever imagine. At the same time, it's changing your physiology and shifting things. You see and experience things that you're not conscious of. So you'll get what's called indigestion because you're literally not digesting your food very well. Right. You'll mm -hmm. get changes in bowel patterns, urination that you're not familiarizing yourself with, which in my mind as a nutritional biochemistry person is thinking, wow, you're dumping so many nutrients down the toilet right now in your mm -hmm. urine, yeah. in your fecal yeah. matter. Like your body wastes when you are under stress. It dumps. So the level of nutrient efficiencies that occur under stress are astronomical. And, and why is that, Tom? Is that because your body's conserving its energy for 
survival mm. functions. So it's downregulating what it deems no, less. It's trying to lighten the load when it comes to bowel movements and transit time. It's trying to okay. keep, and then when you were being pursued by a predator, and mm -hmm. if you were running and you defecated, then the smell of the defecation would actually repel the... So when you get indigestion and, and your bowels get loose and whatnot, it's a survival mechanism. It's not as, as functional as you would imagine it to be. And then the other thing is when you're under stress, the kidneys will alter how they filter out different nutrients. And so you'll pee out more of specific nutrients. So it's not necessarily a beneficial adaptive mechanism in this. Right. It's supposed to be temporary survival. So we used to experience these high levels of stress when we're about to get eaten by a saber-toothed tiger or bear or something. Right. right. But now it's like, oh my gosh, this person cut me off. Or like, oh, my bills are due. Or I can't believe my teenager said that. It's like all these things that trigger, yeah, the same response that a bear would. So it's not something we're, we're accustomed to. And the way society is going and the world is going right now, it's just so sad and stressful and people are just constantly thinking about it and they're brewing about it. And as they brew about it, you have to imagine you're depleting nutrients. So oh, you have absolutely. too many irritants in the way of stress, exactly. not enough nutrients. What's the first thing to go? Mood and sleep. Yeah. People say, I'm wired and tired, right? I can't get to sleep. Yeah. I'm, I'm anxious. That's so common in migraine clients. I hear that all the time right? I wish I could get good sleep. I wish I could feel good about myself. I wish it's so reversible. It's so yeah. easy to intervene, but you have to find out what it is that's irritating that person. You have to find out what those nutrients are that person is missing. But my goodness, it's like in a matter of weeks that if you nail it, you've got a new person on your hands. And then in a matter of months, their, their metabolism kicks in and they're sleeping well and they're losing weight and their joints feel fantastic. Yeah. And, and oh, by the way, the migraines are gone. <laughs> yeah. 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 So a little bit of a side question. Is there a specific micronutrient test that you like to use? I'm sure you have mm -hmm. your own panels that you love to do. Well, but yeah, I'm I've been instructing. I, I spent seven months in Idaho teaching a bunch of practitioners about the ion panel from Genova. And uh, okay. prior yeah. to that, I was learning from Dr. Richard Lord way back when I was in university. And he's the guy who kind of founded that lab analysis. And he, what, a, what a wonderful man he is. I, I say I've been blessed by the Lord. And Richard Lord is, is an amazing biochemist, <laughs> right? And so yeah, that's something I feel comfortable with. I've been doing that for a very long time. So that's the one I use. A little more expensive. Those darn things run about 513 bucks after the, the yeah. shipping fees and whatnot. But my goodness, they tell you so much information, whether it's the minerals, yeah. the fatty acids, the uh, organic acids in the urine, right? And then you have fat-soluble vitamins, things like coenzyme Q10, vitamin A, vitamin E. And then on top of that, you get some inflammatory markers and vitamin D and different things that a lot of nutrient analysis panels don't provide. So I get to right. see nuances of what's happening in the gut. I get to see nuances of what's happening with the neurotransmitters. I get to see all of these different patterns that when you put them together and you understand the chemistry behind them, really give you some fantastic tools as to where you can intervene with migraines. Cool. Yeah. yeah that's an amazing tool. Yeah. So let's jump next to toxicity. <laughs> so we had talked briefly about how 
When people suffer from migraines, they oftentimes have uh, eloquent sensitivity to their environment. Right. And when you look at the literature, it's very clear. You see that there's about 20% of the general population with migraines will also be co-diagnosed with multiple chemical sensitivity. Mm, yeah. So okay. what that means that is they're sense. so sensitive that the smallest little whiff of something from their environment, whether it's a fragrance from a personal care product or a chemical off-gassing from their office furniture or whatever it might be in an airplane, for example. Did you know they use 100 times the flame retardants in airplanes they use anywhere else? And plus you get the jet fuel and plus you get the recirculated air. And it's like, that's a gold mine for yeah. triggering people. One of my highest population of people is actually hairstylists who if you look at people who are in hair salons, nail salons, hairstylists, they oftentimes get exposed to a tremendous amount of chemicals, very specific chemicals that trigger migraines, as well as its poor air circulation, as well as they're under a high stress circumstance. So it's a, a, a perfect recipe for a migraine for sure. Yeah, but we could have a whole episode on detoxification oh, I would, and toxicity. I would, I would love that. In fact, Okay, let's do it. Well, uh, what, <laughs> There's so much to dive into there. We'd have to break it out, I think. Once again, I'm so grateful for my work experience. I didn't want to be a migraine specialist. That's not how I started out. I started out looking at autoimmune diseases and glute sensitivity right. and then autism because I have some dear friends and family with autism issues, Calabash nephew. And there's all these things that kind of go, oh, wow, you know, what's going on? But the wild piece is, I was able to dive into not only the nutrient analysis with all those healthcare practitioners of functional medicine of Idaho and see the patterns that were happening underneath all these different conditions, including migraines. But right after that, I went on to go be a, I was the director of nutrition at Seeking Health. And Seeking Health was just launching Ben, how he loves yeah. his gene analysis stuff, right? Ben and I yeah. went to school together. He's a wonderful man. And, you know, he launches this incredible gene analysis panel and says, you know, here you go, teach docs. And so I had to immerse myself in genetics and epigenetics and what turned on the genes and what turned off the genes and what foods triggered and what nutrients were cofactors or coenzymes. Guess what? I got to combine the two then. I got to see what were the nutrients that people were missing. I got mm -hmm. to see what genes were associated with people with migraines. And then I got to see that there was some interesting chemistry that nobody was looking at. Nobody was yeah. looking at. Oh, and yeah. so I started reading books about it. It's and I started cool. looking at all the scientific literature I possibly could, talking to neurologists and other people. And I was like, have you seen this? Nope. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, wow, cool. Let's roll with this. And so now I've been applying this in my migraine relief method. And oh, lo and behold we're seeing some incredible stuff. So there's a, there's a Exciting. huge piece and it's, I'm going to correct the term detoxification and I'm going to say more metabolism and biotransformation of compounds because what's happening is you're taking a substance into a cell and you want to transform that substance into something that can be carried out of the cell and discarded from the human body, right? It has to right. be transformed. Yep. This is a natural physiological process that occurs in the kidney and the liver, and it's, it's happening all the time in your sweat glands, and you want to metabolize substances and get them out. And what we're yeah. seeing is 
with migraine sufferers, they don't do that very well. Mm. And so you give yeah. them a little bit of an exposure of something and holy smokes, like they have a tremendous response. During the process of having a lot of sanitation happening over the last couple of years, right? People going into stores and then cleaning countertops and spraying and then wearing masks and rebreathing mm -hmm. air and whatnot. Guess what's gone up during that time frame? Migraines. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I can talk to you about the specific chemicals. I can talk to you about the specific pathways that metabolize those specific chemicals. That's, that's all incorporated in the migraine relief method. Yeah. Yeah. It I just think that's such a crucial piece. And that's something that I always address with my clients yeah. out the gate. Like we start immediately with just eliminating exposures mm -hmm. before anything else. Let's just start eliminating your exposures to these things. Let's yeah. change up your household products, oh, yeah. your personal care, yeah. your hair. Good. Stop with the fragrances in your home. I mean, yeah. fragrance is such a pervasive thing. <laughs> I travel a lot and I've noticed this huge trend over the last mm. several years. You walk into a hotel lobby Ooh. and they have their signature fragrance and it's just pumping into the Ooh. air and Oh my God. And I'm much less sensitive yeah. now that I've done some cleanup work of my own sure. and healing. But it used to be that if I got in an elevator with someone with perfume on or walked into a scented hotel lobby, I would break out in hives within 15 minutes. Oh my um, goodness. It was miserable. Yes. And people just have no idea how toxic and problematic that is for us. No. And they don't. You know, yeah. They don't. They really don't. And that's it's I'm glad that you're highlighting this because I think that it's something I just come across so many people that are suffering from migraines or severe headaches, either one. And I think that that is a huge trigger for either of those things. And it's something that we have control over to some degree, right? We, have we can a avoid lot it more control degree. than you yeah. would imagine. Mm -hmm. So even my clients who are in a workspace, like a hair salon, for example, I have one person who is fantastic about slowly educating the other women in the salon with her saying, I have responses to this. Other people have response. You are likely changing your hormone responses to your environment by using these dyes and, and other chemicals. So what would you say about trying an alternative? And then she investigated alternatives and shared them with others. And now the entire salon is in a place where they're protecting not only themselves, but their clientele. Yes, absolutely. Right? It's, so, it's so great. itself is marketable. So they yes. now have extra 100%. value in the marketplace yep. because they can say, we are a fragrant-free salon or harmful chemical-free salon or whatever they want to say that would promote that aspect of conscious consideration for their clients. Yeah. Yeah. We're really lucky to have a handful of low toxic, I don't know if there's such thing as completely non-toxic salons, but they're using organic products. They're using the least toxic options available. Sure. And it is, I mean, they're all full, yeah. booked out yeah. months and months in advance, mm -hmm. all of their stylists, mm -hmm. because people want that. Right? Yeah. Who wouldn't yeah. if you knew? Yeah. But the problem is so many people exactly. don't know. So many people are walking around with the blinders on and they're just like, I don't know why I have these problems, but every time I'm in an enclosed room and I have these smells and they don't make the associations. But you have to think there is going to be an action and for every action, there will be a reaction. And if yeah. your body is inhaling a specific substance that it perceives to be as potentially harmful or knows to be harmful, and then you are inhaling that and inhaling that, and the olfactory nerves go directly to the brain, 
and then the brain gets delivered this specific chemical. And the what's called mitochondrial threshold of the brain is so low. It's lower than many other cells in the human body. So it doesn't take much for you to switch off that mitochondrial function of the brain. Now, all of a sudden, you have foggy brain. You're not thinking very well. Your mood is changing. You're tired. You're not sure why. Or in other people's cases who are wonderfully sensitive, like my clients, you'll trigger a migraine, right? Right. So you, it's it's something to be conscious of. I'm really glad you brought it up for sure. Yeah, it's we can't we can't drive ourselves crazy and be hyper paranoid about any kind of exposure, but we can do the best that we can. Yes. Right. Yeah. And then try not to stress about the things that we can't control. <laughs> yeah. And the neat thing so. about the human body is it's so darn resilient. And Amazing. one of the reasons yeah. I had emphasized broccoli in my tent talk was because broccoli helps to discard waste better than anything. So there was a really neat study with uh, some of the people I had interviewed at Johns Hopkins that had gone over to China and and looked at air pollution metabolites. And they were giving a sulforaphane-rich beverage to people over in China. And they were seeing that it would increase the excretion of certain air pollutants by 60%. So all they had to do was do a little bit of a beverage that had some of the sulforaphane in it. It was a watercress or broccoli sprout or whatever they want to do these days. There's multiple beverage studies now. And you increase that sulforaphane and boom, you decrease the chemicals in your body. It comes out in the urine. So cool. Yeah. And it's wonderful, so cool. right? I mean, it's like I, I give the analogy of a superhero, right? In my TED talk, because I'm like, gosh, it's it does so much, right? So little. All you need is to eat a little bit of broccoli, steamed broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, kale, Brussels sprouts, irregular radishes, or my favorite broccoli sprouts, because the levels of sulforaphane are so high. Then boom, you shift your entire cell biochemistry. So come on. You do that every time you eat. That's what what fascinates me is that so many people don't understand that you express more genes within two hours after eating than you do any other time in your life other than being in, in utero and replicating. So it's fantastic. Food signals your body to change cell function. Food builds new cells. So you have good food, you have good cells. So my friend Mike Mutzel has this wonderful shirt that says, eat like your life depends on it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Because it does. It does. Right? (laughs) Yeah. So great. It does. Yeah. Yeah. We always, in our world, we have that saying that genes load the gun and food and lifestyle pull the trigger, right? Right. And that's something I'm always trying to emphasize and drive home for my clients is helping them shift out of this mindset of calories in, calories out, or food is just something that's either fattening or not, or- Oh boy, good luck with that. And and <laughs> yeah, well, it's great because once they start to make changes and they realize how much better that they can feel, that light bulb turns on, right? And they understand, oh, wow, yeah, this is a completely different approach. Eating clean- To a relationship with food. Will change your life. I mean, mm-hmm. and it depends on the person, what works great, but I've seen- Keto changed people's lives. I've seen carnivore change people's lives. I've seen veganism change people's lives. I've seen all these different diets on different mm-hmm. parameters based on what that person needs have done wonders. But if you go all in, you will know what diet works for you very quickly. Yeah. Within two or doesn't. <laughs> three weeks' time, you'll know yeah. because your waist will slim, your energy will increase. But the most beautiful thing that happened for me when I found a diet that worked for me was the mood and mental clarity. 
Oh, yes. So I have focus. I can relate now. to that. I have razor sharp focus. I used to be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. like I'm all over the place trying to read every 16 different scientific articles at once. Mm -hmm. and, and now it's just like, whoop. So when I want to get out with my kids, I got plenty of energy. I got plenty of strength. I got plenty of flexibility. It's awesome. So, yeah. yeah. Very cool. So, on the subject of food, let's let's dive a little bit deeper into food intolerances and their connection with migraines. Yeah, well, you can't imagine that the human body is designed to be eating all these different protein structures, right? I mean, we know that you can't feed certain grapes to dogs, you can't feed chocolate to dogs, you can't give super fatty foods to dogs, it'll totally mess up their GI tract. And yet, yeah. as humans, we just assume we can eat whatever we yeah. want from wherever we want, yeah. and then we're going to be fine. And the whole reason why I wrote The Elimination Diet was because of what happened to me. Mm -hmm. I had this incredible thing that occurred when I was in, in school where I went on this two-week raw food diet, and I completely alleviated all wheat that I'd been consuming all the time. And all of a sudden, my energy level increased, my gut calmed down, joint pain disappeared. All these different things happened. And I was like, what changed? Like, what did I just do? And then I started eating my burritos wrapped in whole wheat tortillas again. And next thing you know, boom, everything came back, right? And I was like, I finally got diagnosed with celiac disease. But it was like, nobody really knows what works for them or what doesn't work for them unless they try to live without it for a bit. Yeah. And then when you add it back in, you can see what's up. Now, when it comes to migraines, I wish there was a prescription where someone could write and say, like, it's always going to be gluten, dairy, eggs, yeast, corn, soy, citrus, blah, blah, blah. It's not. Yeah. What I've it's seen so is that, Yeah. What I've seen is that it's individualistic. There's a lot of different people who have different food sensitivities and for migraines, also intolerances. Mm -hmm. So you may Explain have- Explain the difference between those two for us. Oh, yeah. Sure, sure. So the- Sensitivity implies that the immune system is involved in some sort of way. So if you read old allergy texts, they'll say there's a difference between an allergy and a sensitivity. Allergy is this IgE-mediated hives and breathing issues and whatnot, where new cutting-edge allergists will say a sensitivity covers allergies. So as long as your immune system is involved, and your immune cells are responding as though they're attacking to a, a, a foreign invader of sorts, then that's considered a sensitivity. And intolerance is when you build up a level of a substance that your body can't process fast enough, mm -hmm. and therefore it affects the system. I'll give you two of the most common ones that I see. Lactose intolerance, fructose intolerance. Right. Lactose intolerance, you consume dairy that has a high level of lactose. You can't digest it, break it apart from large to small, absorb it, utilize it. You can't do anything with it because of your enzymes in your intestinal tract. And therefore, you end up getting a lot of these sugars around. And these sugars irritate the intestinal lining. They feed certain microbes. Those microbes produce gas. So your symptoms are bloating, distension, gas, diarrhea, nausea, right? After consuming lactose. That's an intolerance. Your immune system's yeah. not responding to it. Maybe downstream once all the irritation happens. Yes, it does. But initially, it's just a sugar. You get too much sugar that you can't process. Gut bugs eat it. They process it. You feel bad. So it's a dose-related reaction. Totally. 
Same thing with fructose. In fact, fructose intolerance is way more common than people would imagine. 25% of the population has a fructose intolerance that I see in my clinical practice. 25%? Wow, I did not realize that was that high. One out of every four. That's incredible. So you get somebody who comes in and they say, you know what? I've been eating lots of apples, apple juice, applesauce. I'll give you an example. I had this woman come see me and uh, she was my friend's mother. And a friend I used loosely was a climbing store uh, employee who I'd been seeing for years and buying climbing gear from. But he, wonderful man, sends his mom to see me. She comes in. She says, yes, I've had IBS for decades. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh no. Yeah. Tell me your symptoms. I get this loose stool. I get this gas, nausea, bloating. It's miserable. I was like, okay, let's do a dietary intake. She said, okay, great. So a lovely lady lives out here in the county and she grows apples as everybody does here in Whatcom County, right? So she has stewed apples and she has applesauce and she has apple cider and she has apple juice and she has, (laughs) and I'm looking at all these things and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is a fructose case if I've ever seen one, right? What else do you like to eat? Pears. Oh my gosh. Oh, the second highest fructose, fructose commonality thing that I see in clinical <laughs> yeah. practice, right? So if you added cherries to that and mangoes, dried mangoes, apricots, things like that, then I'd be like, oh. So all I did was say, whoa, you can't tolerate large amounts of apples and pears and cherries and apricots and mangoes. So just cut back. Just have yeah. like a half of an apple at a time and no applesauce or apple juice at that same sitting. And then if you want to have a little shot glass of apple juice for dinner, great, but not a whole glass, right? Symptoms went away overnight. She had seen specialist Amazing. after specialist after specialist after specialist. Symptoms were gone. All it is chemistry. It's just chemistry. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So fascinating. Hmm. And I think histamine is another one that I see commonly, a histamine intolerance, where as long as people aren't overdoing it, yeah. they can do some of the fermented foods yeah. or higher histamine foods, and they're okay as long as they don't overflow that bucket, so to speak. Well, I wanted to do a program on histamine. I have seven months of research on histamine put into multiple different PowerPoint presentations. And I was going to teach practitioners about histamine intolerance was my goal. I was working on it years prior to that too, as well, but it's big. It's histamine intolerance is big. However, it's big in specific people who are missing specific nutrients. Mm. So when I do the nutrient testing, I can tell you what specific nutrients are going to alter how you respond to histamine. It's pretty fast. And that was, again, something I learned by looking at all the gene analysis, by looking at all the nutrient analysis side by side. And I can tell you, like, I've actually taught a class for Dr. Mark Hyman, his, his following there on histamine yeah. intolerance. And uh, it was really, it's, it's eye-opening that, uh, yes, you can respond to the alcohol. Yes, you fermented vegetables and the kombucha and everything else. Yes. But- when the nutrient levels get up from the things that you're missing, you can tolerate more. Most people, mm, champagne, forget about it. That's the highest histamine food on the planet. Nobody's going to be able to tolerate champagne. Yeah. But So spill the tea, Tom. What, what are those nutrients? Oh, man. What are the major well, ones? Hold on. It depends on the person. <laughs> so rare, for rarity, sometimes it can be a copper issue for some people, folate mm-hmm. in other okay. people, B12 in other people, betaine in other people. So Really, B6, you you have to really dive in and figure out what the nutrients are that are missing. And that's why the nutrient Mm -hmm. analysis testing works so well. Because you can jump in and see, ooh, look at that. It's a folinic acid issue for this person, or it's a riboflavin issue for this person, or B6 issue for this person. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating. I wish there was a a commonality in all of them, but it changes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, there's another episode I'll bring you back oh, for as a histamine. Right. We have talk, a lot of episodes. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah. All kinds of things. Every time I have someone on, I'm like, ooh, let's talk about this. Yeah. Stuff. <laughs> I've got all my seasons lined oh, up. Oh, that's great. Way out. So talk about a little bit of what the most common treatments are as a go-to for migraines, for people that aren't migraine. obviously getting functional medicine treatment. Excedrin migraine. So by far, the most common thing that I'll see my client base taking is an over-the-counter. Excedrin migraine is a combination of acetaminophen, aspirin, and caffeine. And it's interesting okay. because when you look at the data very closely, which I've done on all of the medications that my clients come in, anytime I have a client come to see me, and this started basically before I even started graduating from school, I will investigate the chemical structure of the medication, the primary mode of action of that medication, what nutrients interact with that medication, and how that medication will change cell function. So what I have seen with acetaminophen is fascinating. Acetaminophen does not give as much benefit as people would imagine. Now, there's a couple of people out there, some of my clients included, who would say, no, forget it. It's the thing that works for me. But for mm -hmm. the average person, once again, that's a matter of averages now, I can't tell everybody. But sure. for the average migraine sufferer, acetaminophen doesn't do much. It's interesting because it doesn't do much for the benefit of the migraine, but it does a ton for harming the liver. Ugh. So Great. there are thousands, tens of thousands of emergency room visits per year. The primary cause of liver failure in the United States is not alcohol consumption. It's acetaminophen toxicity, right? Mm. So people wow, forget that approximately 10% of the acetaminophen that comes into the system gets metabolized into this really nasty, what's called the epoxyamine. And this damages liver cells like you wouldn't believe. And it has to be depleted. It has to be metabolized, detoxified, biotransformed by glutathione. Okay. So in the process of removing this nasty epoxyamine, you deplete your liver cells glutathione stores. And if you get to a certain point of 15% or less in each cell of what's considered reduced glutathione, the cell kills itself. So what happens for people who take excessive doses of acetaminophen over time is you'll end up with liver damage. Mm. Now, the problem is, is that there's been a very clear campaign from the FDA, Food and Drug Administration, since 2018. It says, do not double up on acetaminophen. Never take over the recommended dose on any acetaminophen products because you may run the risk of damaging your liver. And if you do yeah. this long-term and you consume alcohol and mm -hmm. you consume other medications, whether it's a upper respiratory infection medication or a sleep medication or some other medication that's got an additional ingredient in it that has acetaminophen, which acetaminophen is the most common pharmaceutical ingredient in over-the-counters, then your risk of liver damage goes way up. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so the reality is it's dangerous. In the 1970s, yeah. they were considering labeling paracetamol is what they called it back then, or acetaminophen now, as a potential harmful substance. And instead, it got turned into a medication that's being used over and over and over again. So strike one, et cetera, and watch your liver. But thankfully, there's a way of salvaging liver function. There's a way of increasing glutathione. And that's what the World Health Organization recommends when somebody has acetaminophen toxicity. 
It's called NAC or N-acetylcysteine. I love my NAC. Right? So you <laughs> yes. can take NAC when you take Tylenol, when you take acetaminophen-based medications, and it seems to help protect the liver a little bit. So that's one way of countering that. That's great. And you can take them at the same time. You don't have to Absolutely take them. Absolutely, you can. One Absolutely, you can. Great. Yep. Then the other thing is there's aspirin. And what I've seen from aspirin is, this is well-known, by the way. You take aspirin. And this is a, a substance called an NSAID or non-steroid anti-inflammatory mm -hmm. drug. And this NSAID alters these what's called cytokines, prostaglandins specifically, in your body that lead to inflammation. And that's great. Right. You can cut down on inflammation. So your ibuprofen, your aspirin, those things will cut down Motrin. They'll cut down the ability for your body to produce inflammatory cells that lead to swelling, <laughs> heat, pain, dysfunction, whatnot. But the problem is at the same time, they inhibit a substance that protects your cell lining. So you have stomach yeah. cells. And if you took a ton of aspirin, like I have so many migraine clients who come in and say, oh, I've been through ulcer therapy and I've had problems with ulcers oh, throughout yeah, the year. And I'm like, right. how much Excedrin migraine are you taking? How much aspirin are you taking? How much Advil are you taking? How much Motrin are you taking? And usually it's excessive. I have some people who are taking Excedrin migraine every few hours, right? You're supposed to take one dose for a 24-hour period. You know, if you're taking it once every 12 yeah. hours, you're still running risk. But every two to four hours is nuts. You are going to be at risk for damage. You have to think to yourself, if you look in an electron microscope within 10 minutes of taking buffered aspirin, you can see mm. perforations in the lining of the, the stomach. You can see miniature ulcerations that occur. If wow. you look at the intestinal tract later on of somebody who's been taking NSAIDs for a long period of time, they have permeable gut. Now, here's the problem mm -hmm. is that we're now seeing that the same, well, not quite the same, a similar thing occurs in the vessels. Your blood vessels. Mm -hmm. So you have this coating in your blood vessels, it's called prostacyclin, that it gets diminished when you take NSAIDs. And so you increase your risk of cardiovascular disease. So we're talking about the lining of the intestinal tract, which we know is so important for absorbing nutrients and keeping microbes out and keeping food particles out. Right. So you don't have food sensitivities. You don't have inflammatory responses from microbes, right? So important right? That gets degraded by the NSAIDs or the aspirin and the Motrin ibuprofen. So that's one. But then the vessels. Right. So we've heard of Vioxx before. You've heard of these heart trials and these NSAIDs that have been used. The same thing occurs for all NSAIDs. You increase your risk for cardiovascular disease. So mm -hmm. it's interesting. You're taking this every day, two hours, four hours, every six hours, every 12 hours. That's well above and beyond the recommendations that the manufacturer had intended, number one. And number two, it leads to long-term issues. So a lot of the people that I see, it's a gut rebuilding process. It's a nutrient rebuilding process. It's a repairing the liver tissue process. It's looking at that level of N-acetylcysteine. And we can see that on those nutrient panels. We'll see cysteine levels. We'll see glutathione levels. We'll see lots of different things. And we can determine, wow. And across the board, for a lot of my migraine clients, I see low levels of those very important things. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a vicious cycle, right? Like oh. People are taking these things to treat or address symptoms. Mm. 
And in the process, they're creating the very problems and the hyper vulnerability sensitivity of our system to the very things that are triggering the migraine. (laughs) You know what the worst part is? Rebound migraines. So the problem is that many people who take prophylactics and or preventatives, what we call acutes. So you try and keep or abortives, some people call them. You want to abort the migraine, the acute Mm -hmm. system failure of the brain and body together that are leading to a migraine. So you take, whether it's a tryptan or CGRP, or you take some sort of medication immediately, less on the CGRPs, you take it immediately, or in CGRPs, it can be an injection over long-term, but technicality, sorry, I'm into details, I'm a (laughs) science guy. So you try and prevent this, but then it could lead to you experiencing more actual migraine days per month. So you get on this hamster wheel of taking a medication, causes harm, leads to more susceptibility, creates more migraines. Have to take Mm -hmm. more medication, causes harm. And then you go by years later and then you're like, why is my gut a mess? Mm, Why is my liver not functioning? Now all of a sudden I'm gaining lots of weight. Why am I having so many mood problems? Why am I not sleeping? Why am I? Well, I can show you the pathways in scientific literature that comes from the Journal of American Medical Association, New England Journal of Medicine, the Journal of Gastroenterology. Like I can show you the pathways. It's all documented. It's all here. Now, what you need to decide is what do you want to do now? Because you've been on that roller coaster, but there are other ways of jumping off that roller coaster. How? You lower the amount of irritants and you increase the amount of nutrients. Yeah. The reason you're experiencing that pain is because your brain is irritated and you don't have enough nutrition to support it. So if you get those two right. things balanced back out, you don't have to have migraines. So that's so beautiful. It's powerful. It's wonderful is what it is. And the most frustrating thing for me is so many people don't know this. Right. So many people are walking around and they're suffering every day, or I shouldn't say walking around, I should say coward in their bedrooms, curled up in a ball with their headphones on and their dark glasses and whatever, trying to avoid any more sensory input possible. Mm -hmm. One quick tip, blue light at night. Watch that blue light at night. Holy smokes. That's That's a rough one. Yeah. So blue light blocking glasses can really help people at night. And I actually have one client who wears red colored glasses all the time just to keep them from triggering their migraines. And it does wonders Mm, for them. mm -hmm. So like the actual white light, if you see white light after sunset and those bright LED headlights that everybody has these days, it's actually an inflammatory trigger of the brain. Research shows the brain will secrete inflammatory chemicals as if it's been insulted if it sees bright white or blue light at night. Isn't that interesting? Wow. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, I knew that it degrades melatonin to have that oh, blue light, but I absolutely. didn't realize that it was actually triggering inflammation. No, yeah. Well, melatonin is also the primary antioxidant right. in the brain, right? Yeah, exactly. So if you form a trigger and then you don't have something to calm it down, then you have, right? right? So there's that balance there of go. trigger versus nutrient, right? If you have plenty of melatonin and then you have that trigger, it's not as big of an issue. But if you're lacking the melatonin, you saw the white light, not only did the white light trigger an inflammatory response, but it also degraded the melatonin that would protect you from that inflammatory response. So good call on that one. 
Yeah. Yeah. I want to ask you one more question oh. and then I want to make sure that we give people all the information <laughs> about where they can sure, find sure. you and do your migraine program. Yeah. Many of the women that I work with and myself are either in perimenopause mm. or are mm -hmm. menopausal. Yes. So is there a hormonal component? Oh my gosh. Yes. For this. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that if you don't mind. Well, it's interesting because estrogen is actually anti-inflammatory. It's really quite protective. But estrogen that is not metabolized very well is very problematic. So I'm sure you've yeah. talked about the 2,4,16 metabolites of estrogen metabolism and how the potential carcinogenic or uh, you know, teratogenic uh, behavior of those leading to breast cancer, uterine cancer, whatnot. There's also these metabolites that can be problematic in other areas. And if you do not process them, metabolize them, what we call biotransform. So, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to go back on what I said here and say a, a bad term, right? I'm going to say the detoxing of estrogen right. because the estrogen is a hormone that has to be changed in shape frequently. You do not want an imbalance of estrogen in the wrong shape, in the wrong place, at the wrong time. No, it can be very problematic. Not. So the body has to shift its shape frequently. And there are specific enzymes that need, guess what? Nutrients. And if those enzymes, those proteins that change the shape of estrogen, don't have the proper coenzymes and cofactors that make them work, then they can't change the shape of the estrogen. And so therefore, the estrogen can be problematic and create an inflammatory response that leads to hormone-associated migraines. So it's less about the hormone itself, and it's more about what the body does with the hormone. So right. it needs okay. to metabolize yeah. it into different shapes, forms, and or excrete it from the system, eliminate it from the system. And that elimination also takes certain enzymes with nutrient cofactor. So guess what? Those very same nutrients are oftentimes associated with energy. Those very same nutrients are also associated with biotransformation or detoxification of other chemical compounds. Those very same nutrients cross over. So that's a secondary pathway that I discovered in my gene and nutrient analysis too, is all that hormone metabolism. That wasn't right. the primary one I was looking at, but I that I was like, wow, this is very much reinforced. So yes, there's a massive hormone associated part of migraines in certain individuals who have challenges with these biotransformation pathways. Right. And so many women that come to me are overstressed, mm -hmm. undernourished, yep. underexercised, oh, yeah. and they're starting their day with coffee and ending it with wine. Oh, no. So their liver is stressed. That's a recipe for migraine right there. They've been on birth control for decades oh, of their lives. Another recipe for migraines. Right? So it's yeah. sort of setting them up yeah. for this to be a major problem and to struggle with all these other things that people complain about in our age group, yeah. excess belly fat and fatigue oh, yes. and brain fog and all They're the things. all interconnected. Yeah. It's interesting Absolutely. because if you tug on any part of that web, right, you'll create more imbalances. And if you nourish yeah. any part of that web, you'll create more balance. So it's a beautiful thing to look at the entire web and to say like, let's go here and see how that pulls things back together. And let's go here and see how that pulls things back together. So you're doing beautiful yeah. work. That's really, that's great to hear. Oh, well, thank you. I had a good teacher. Ah. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so Tom, tell us what are just the one or two things that people could start with 
Yes. And then I want to hear more about your program and how people can come work with you if, if they need help with, with migraines. Yeah. So I guess it's tough for me to say one or two things, right? The Mayo Clinic always uses the seed analogy. I don't know if you've heard of that one, but that one's like with your sleep, stick to a certain schedule and make sure you don't get yeah. that blue light at night, right? So S's mm -hmm. for seed sleep, right? So work on your sleep wake cycle, your circadian rhythm. That seems to play a really nice role in, in helping to balance the, the migraines. And then there's mm -hmm. the exercise piece. So activity is interesting because if you get too much activity and you're sweating and you're overexerting yeah. yourself, you can contribute to migraines. If you don't get on any activity at all, you can contribute to migraines. So there's like this fine balance of introducing exercise and being consistent, but mild yeah, with it. Finding your own sweet spot. Sweet spot. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. And then there's the e eat healthy. So making sure that you're eating lots of vegetables, fibers seem to be good for keeping the, the gut moving. There is a component for biotransformation of both hormones and toxins that need soluble fiber. So lots of green beans, Absolutely. some people do psyllium husk, some people do PHDG, which is the partially hydrolyzed guar gum or sun fiber as, as it's known to some people. So some of those cruciferous veggies. Veggies, fantastic. Yes. Oh, come on, squash is amazing. Root veggies in, in general are really great for both the fiber and for the prebiotics for the beneficial microbes. So that's awesome. And then the last thing is some people would say is diary. So they would say, track mm -hmm. what's going on. So try to associate where your migraine triggers are coming from, right? So see if you can see a food component, see if you can see a chemical component, see if you can see a nutrient component, like you haven't been eating certain foods or you're mistaking your vitamins or whatever it is. See if you can make those associations on your own. And then if you get stuck and you want a person to be your guide, call me, look me up. Migraine relief method.com forward slash register. So okay. you know, we'll you, put this all in the show notes, everybody yep. too. Go there. You can watch my webinar. You can book a call with me. That's great. I'm a busy kid, but I love to see people with migraines. And each person that I'm gifted with as a client is, I think, a teacher. And for each person who Absolutely teaches true. me more, I get to learn about the nuances that's going to help the next person and then the next person, and then the next person. So yeah. I feel really, really blessed to be where I'm at doing what I'm doing. And I would be honored to work with you if you chose to work with me. Awesome. Well, we are blessed to have you as a resource, Tom. And I am especially grateful for you because I've learned so much from you. And I just love your teaching Aww, style. You. And I am just grateful that you've been so generous with all of your knowledge. And Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all of this. I think that this is going to give people a lot of hope. And I think having you as a resource and this program is just such a wonderful option for people that have struggled with this for so long and not gotten any answers or made progress with the conventional medicine system. So. Yeah. And the, the biggest thing for me is I love to see people get hope again. Yes. So the one yes. thing that I hear over and over and over again from my migraine clients is I felt like I was trapped. I felt like mm. I was in prison. I felt like I was getting abused by my migraine pain. I felt like I could not plan anything. I couldn't get yeah. out and live my life because I had no idea if I tried to work or be with my kids or my spouse or have fun or create a new hobby. I didn't know when I was going to be knocked out by migraine pain. So that freedom is priceless. That hope, Absolutely. again, that outlook on life of being like, 
I, I, I can redefine who I am. I can be a new me now because I'm no longer a person with migraines. That's priceless to me. That's the, the most rewarding yeah. thing on the planet is when you get to see someone just wake up to a new life and you go, oh, yeah. I, I played a role in that. That was an honor. Yeah. 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 It's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, thanks again. We'll do this again and we'll, we'll dive deeper on some of these other things, but thanks for being here and thanks for joining us, everybody. And like I say, I'll give you all the information for where you can find Tom in our show notes. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Take care. You too. Bye. Hey there. Thanks for hanging out with me today. And if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave me a quick review. Also check out the show notes for links to connect, follow, and share this podcast and for information featured in each episode. See you next time. I am not a doctor and the content here should not be taken as medical advice. All information in this podcast is for informational purposes only, does not constitute medical advice, and does not establish any kind of practitioner or coach-client relationship. This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Do not disregard medical advice or delay seeking medical advice because of information you hear in this podcast or any other, and do not start or stop any medications without speaking to your health provider. Always seek the advice of a qualified health practitioner before undertaking a new health regimen. This podcast and website represents the opinion of Jeannie Oliver and guests to the show. Opinions of guests are their own and do not reflect the opinions of Jeannie Oliver Wellness, LLC, or our producers.